0: Cameron told me to print out all my Bible verses but what I did instead was not do that so just going to turn it doesn't my time doesn't start until I start right so yeah um man I'm really excited actually about about coming and talking this is something that's kind of You know, been on my heart for uh, a long time, and I shared some of this uh, at Dwell, at the Iglesia, um, a little while back, and so I'm excited to uh, share it here as well. And what I want to talk about uh, today is um, just the joy of God, just the the love of God. And in Zephaniah, oops, I turned to Zechariah, Zephaniah 3, verse 16 and 17 says, on that day... They will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I just love this picture of the father. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we picture the father sitting on his throne and we're worshiping him and we're dancing and we're singing before him. But this verse, it shows a picture of our father who is singing and dancing and rejoicing over us and and who we are. And um, I just think that's amazing. And what I want to talk about today is just how the the love of God, this, you know, rejoicing God has how that love has just radically affected my life. And what I I want to say is that we're not just um, beggars, you know, that have managed to kind of eke our way into the kingdom, but we are literally sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Uh, Last year I was at Grace Christian Fellowship and was able to hear uh, Pastor Joel Brooks speak. And uh, one of the things that he said really stuck with me. He said, what did Prince Harry major in in college? And he said, it doesn't matter because he's a prince and nothing he does will ever eclipse who he is. And that just kind of struck me. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what Prince Harry does. He is always the son of the king. You know, he and just in the same way, you know, we are sons and daughters of of the king of kings. You know, and so it doesn't matter what we do. You know, we are royalty. And, you know, I just think that that, you know, that love, it just, you know, it brings life to us. And we sometimes kind of get this idea of what the Father is like. You know, we can kind of see, you know, we project, you know, kind of a picture of our own Father onto the Father God. You know, we can see him as kind of like a far-off disciplinarian, and he's constantly disappointed with us because of our performance, and he's kind of withdrawn, kind of waiting for us to prove our worth. But it ends up that we just never are able to prove our worth. You know, we keep falling short. We keep messing up. You know, we're not able to, to do everything that it seems like we should do. You know, and so what we do is we end up spending less and less time with God, you know, just because we feel condemned. We feel like, you know, God must be disappointed with me because I am screwed up. I'm messed up. And why would we want to spend time with somebody who's disappointed with us? So I was in this place For a long time, Um, you know, I just kind of didn't really engage with God like I I could have. You know, and I got saved like at the beginning of the Toronto Blessing, which which was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in like every week. All we heard about was the love of God, the love of God. You know, the Father loves you right where you're at. And I just was like, and I believed it and I was excited about it. You know, but there's some part of me looking back, you know, there's some part of me that didn't engage with it. There's some part inside of me that was still like, he has got to be disappointed with me because I am screwed up, you know. And so even through this this season of, you know, of kind of being somewhat withdrawn, I was a pretty successful Christian. Um, I led worship, you know, here I was on the the prophetic team, uh, led a, a men's men's group. And, you know, I did all these things. You know, pretty well, There there is times, you know, I would lead worship and, you know, the Holy Spirit would fall and, you know, people would be really impacted or I would give somebody a prophetic word and they'd be like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And so I'm just kind of like, wow, this is great. You know, God is using me. Everything must must be fine, you know. And so here we kind of see this picture of God, you know, using me and which which is great. And I, I loved it. But my day to day walk was pretty much a struggle. You know, I had no desire to spend time with God. Um, Mostly, I kind of just wanted to drink and play games, maybe kind of veg out on the couch. You know, I often would stumble with um, pornography and lust. I was, you know, I would judge people. Um, I was pretty selfish. I just kind of did whatever it was that I wanted to do, you know, whenever I wanted to do it. My prayer life didn't exist. I didn't hardly ever read the Bible But I just figured things were probably okay because God, you know, was still using me. And I think that I was just committing the sins that we kind of expect that Christians are going to make, that you're going to do because you can't, you know, you can't really not do those things. That's pretty, it's just too difficult, you know. And it's not like I was happy with where I was. You know, Sunday mornings I would cry out, and I'd be like, God, I'm so sorry, you know, about this week. Would you help me? Just, I just need more passion for you. Would you help me just to love you more and just run after you? You know, but then Sunday night, Monday, I am doing all the exact same things. You know, my cards are flip-flops. So, so I'd cry out to God, you know, and um, I would just mess up again and again and I just felt unworthy. I felt unacceptable. And so I just, and there was no desire for me to pray or to press into God because I was just like, you know, why would He answer me? You know, I've I've not done anything to deserve Him to say, yeah, Mark, I'm going to help you out. You know, or yeah, you're right, Mark. I'm going to you. Know, I'm going to do that for you, because I was just like, certainly He's like, man, Mark, until until you kind of get it together. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to kind of stay over here and just wait for you to really get your life in, in gear. You know, and that's kind of how I saw God. And that's not what I would have said God was thinking. I would be like, oh, God loves me no matter what. But there's something inside of me that wasn't engaged with the Father. But luckily, this isn't what God was thinking at all. He was just constantly trying to draw me back into him. You know, he was trying to woo me back into a deeper relationship with him. And... Um, So what I want to talk about is just kind of the progression, uh, you know, where my life has gone over the last twelve or eighteen months. Um, And so it was at some point—I don't know when—eighteen months. We'll say eighteen months ago—that the the men's group kind of fell apart. Um, you know, schedules changed and, you know, you know, people were getting busy and, you know, it kind of just kind of fizzled out. And I was, I was all right with that because the men's group kind of took, you know, it was every other Sunday and I was kind of happy to let it go because I really valued not doing things. I was, it was, it was like, that's what I wanted was to not do things. And so the men's group just kind of ate into that time. So I was, I was really, I was pretty happy, you know, (laughs) and, um, sorry i 'm trying to this is actually a forty five minute teaching i 'm doing it in thirty five minutes so <laughs> I can do it when do I have to this should say on here right sermon ten thirty five check okay and so so the men 's group kind of falls apart i 'm kind of this kind of blase Christian right and so I responded to something the the Gerbers asked me to come and help at the iglesia and Kind of help lead worship down there, and I was—I decided for some reason I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." And I think it wasn't because I was so much interested in what was happening at the Iglesia. I pretty much just wanted to spend time with the Gerbers, you know, because they're—they're pretty great, you know. And so I said, "Yeah, I'll come down there every other week and lead worship," and it was amazing. I would—I would go down there, and I would like—it's like I would strum a chord. And all of a sudden, Will Hayes or somebody's prophesying, and everybody's praying for each other. And it's just like, man, what is going on here? It was amazing. You know, the passion of those people uh, down at the iglesia is amazing. And just looking around, I realized, wow, I've become lukewarm. You know, I used to be passionate like that. And I was like, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with lukewarm. I've been passionate, and that is difficult. That takes a lot of work. So... I'm at the Iglesia, and one night Sarah is talking about reading through the Bible chronologically. Can I get a glass of water? Sorry. Yeah. I thought I had something between my teeth. Isn't this mine? All right, so we're, oh, so Sarah, we're at the Iglesia on a Sunday night, and Sarah is talking about reading through the Bible chronologically, and something kind of struck me, you know, because I was not a Bible reader, I was not, and I was like, oh, it must be because I've never read the Bible chronologically. I bet this book is brilliant and amazing as soon as I start reading it chronologically. So I printed out this thing, and I I start to read through it chronologically, and come to find out, it's exactly the same. Chronologically or otherwise. It's just it just is still the Bible. And so which is good. It is good. So I so I start reading the Bible and I for some reason just I'm like, I'm gonna read through it in a year. And I just kept sticking with it. Um, I would read and I really didn't feel like I would get that much out of it, but I was consistent and I would fall weeks and weeks behind. You know, I remember last summer we were on vacation at um Silver Lake. So we're like, and we were at the pool and the kids were swimming and I'm just sitting there with my Bible reading as fast as I can. You know, I I have no idea what I read. I don't know what was going on. I was just reading as quickly as I could because I was committed for some reason. I am going to read this book and I'm going to do it in a year. And so that was that was great. It didn't feel like it was terribly impactful, but I felt good about doing it. And so after we get back from vacation, I'm reading through the Bible and I, I just get this idea. I'm driving down the road, and I just was like, man, I want to raise up a, a worship team at Iglesia. And I just, I just want to kind of mentor these kids that, that are coming and just make them, you know, great worship leaders. And I was really excited about it. I remember calling Seth and kind of telling him kind of my vision and what I wanted to do. And he's like, great. And so I, I started coming every Sunday. And just kind of pouring in to whoever would come, we came early for worship practice, and just kind of trying to pour into whoever would show up and there was this real shift in in my heart in the way I was thinking uh I had from that point pre pre and, yeah, that the earlier prior to that point in prior yeah, i uh had uh I was kind of I would kind of come down there. I'm like, man, these guys are pretty lucky to have me because I am pretty sweet. I'm a pretty great worship leader. You know, and there is this there is this shift in my heart to more of like, man, how can I make these guys the best worship leaders they can be? How can I make them better than I've ever been? You know, it it was this father heart kind of kind of being birthed inside of me. And so, yeah, so I started coming every Sunday, which is significant because now we're seriously eating into my not doing anything time. And that is and we're like in doing the worship team. I mean, we get there at like six o'clock and they never those people never leave. They never leave the iglesia. So it's like 10 o'clock and you're just like, all right, I'm leaving now. And so but it was good. I felt good about it. I was excited. And. So now we're reading the Bible, we're going to the Iglesia, and then one Sunday we're getting ready for church, and I just had this kind of thing in my head. I was like, "Man, I think we should start tithing again." And I was nervous about talking to Amber because it doesn't make any—it made no sense on paper, you know, to tithe. And we we're kind of struggling. And so I'm like, "Hey, honey, what do you what do you think if we started tithing?" And she's like, She's like, oh, you know, I've actually been feeling that for a while. I'm like, oh, well, thanks for saying something. And so, so from that from that day, we we have faithfully we've committed to tithe, and it's been it's been great. It still is kind of a struggle. Man, I don't like this rug. And so, it, you know, it can be a struggle sometimes. But uh, what was interesting is we started tithing, and like two weeks later, Amber gets a teaching job, which I thought was exciting. Amen. So. So this goes on for a a couple months, um, and I pretty much look exactly the same, okay? My life, my day-to-day life is pretty much exactly the same, but I feel pretty good about reading the Bible and and tithing and, and kind of stuff that's going on. And so that's June, July, we get to August, and I'm starting to think, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, where am I going? And Amber and I... I think it was Labor Day. We're out with some friends, and they're kind of, you know, Amber's recently graduated, and they have graduated, and they're just talking. And this, this is what I heard was like, you have got to be an idiot not to have a college degree. Anybody who's anybody has a college degree, and if you don't, you've missed it, and you better get back to school as quickly as you can. Otherwise, you will never succeed. That's probably not what they said, but that—that that is what I received. And because, like, all three of these guys have their degree, their bachelor's degree, and I i have, like, a few credits towards an associate's degree. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I have completely missed it. And there's just this kind of depression that kind of hits me. And I'm like, I need to get back to school so I can make something out of my life, so I can be successful. And so I decide to go back to school. I go to Valley. I'll cut this story short. This is a good story. And I cut the I cut. I go to Valley, I meet with a counselor, and I, you know, do all the things, and I choose a major, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be great, and I open up that, that book that has all the classes in it and the times, and I'm looking through it, and there's literally no classes at a time that I can take. Like, there's some available, but somehow, the classes that I managed to not fail when I was going to school before are all the only ones that I can take, okay? And so... Or they're, only, they're the only ones available at a time that I could take. Okay. And so I was just like, I can't believe this. I know people go to school at night. Amber went to school in the evenings, and, you know, I know people can do this. So I was like, hey, Amber, will you take a look at this? And she's looking at it, and she's like, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. I'm like, unbelievable. I just feel this kind of depression hit me again. And I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to be successful if I can't go back to school? And I just really believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And just was like, hey, hold on a second, Mark. I'm closing these doors. I don't want you to go back to school. I have seen you, you just, all your life, you just get excited about something and you just kind of run after it. And then you just kind of ask me to bless it afterwards. I want you just to take some time and wait on me and see what I want you to do. I'm like, oh, okay, I could do that. And I was like, what, what do you want me to do? And he's like, just take, I want to spend an hour and a half once a week for this next semester and just wait on me. And so that's what I did from September to December. Spent an hour and a half either here at the church or I'd lock myself in my room at home. And I would just soak and I would just wait on God and I would just pray. And it was pretty, pretty good. Um, pretty good. I'll t- if anybody's interested in that, I can tell more about that. But I don't have time for that, people. We've got to schedule and so it's so we get we get up to September 5th, which is kind of the day before this is the Sunday before I'm going to start this season of waiting is what I call that semester of waiting. Just kind of seeing what God wanted to do. OK. Um, and so Tori Webb gets up and it, this is during. Uh, pastor cameron's series on prayer and she shares about the axe axe model of prayer she was doing at the time she may still be doing it i don't know and i was i wasn't like wasn't like terribly impacted by it but i was like oh that's good prayer you know it's probably a good thing to do and um and so the next morning is whatever that day is oh it's oh that's interesting it's the same day that's Labor Day. Hmm, interesting. So Labor Day, I get up before everybody else, and I, for some reason, decide to try the axe model of prayer, which is interesting because I not only wasn't I using the axe model of prayer, I was at that point using zero model of prayer. And so, I sat down with my book and I wrote a little A and kind of prayed and added, and it was good. And I was like, okay, great. And then I kind of went went about my day. And then, but what's interesting is that Tuesday I got up and prayed. And I don't know how or why I got up on Tuesday. And the same thing happened on Wednesday. And I was like, man, I've got a little streak going on here. I'm just going to keep doing this. And so since September 5th, I've gotten up early every morning, except, I don't know, a few days, uh, and and prayed. I've just made that commitment. And I tell you what, this has been the most radical change in my life. It is unbelievable how, how this has affected me. You know, I'm now at complete rest in, in the Father's presence, you know, and I just love being with him. I'm excited about getting up, you know, and I've seen sometimes I don't want to get out of bed, but, you know, once I'm there, it's so good, you know, and he just shows up and it's, it's been amazing, you know, and I find that I'm walking in a, in a level of freedom from sin that I never realized was even possible, you know, stuff that I've struggled with for years for my entire Christian walk, just dealt with, and it's apparently just by committing to pray every day and it is unbelievable you know and so from this point you know looking back you know we just see the fingerprint of God all over my life you know just bringing me back to him just drawing me into a deeper relationship just you know he wanted more of my life you know he loved me right where i was but he loved me too much to, to leave me in that place and i felt like every step i took you know, God just rejoiced over it. Um, I, he kind of opened a door uh, to volunteer at the iglesia, and I said yes. He said, hey, will you read the Bible? You know, and I said yes. He's like, will you start tithing again? And I said yes. Will you spend one night a week? You know, just pressing into me, and I said yes. He's like, "Will you pray every day?" And I said yes. And I believe every single one of these was an opportunity. You know, it was like a fork in the road. I could either continue on the path, the the same path that I was on, or I could take this path that drew me closer to Jesus. And you know, in every one, you know, it entailed a little bit of sacrifice. You know, it, it, I didn't just God didn't give me just new extra. Hours in my week to to do these things, but every sacrifice and I just believe that God rejoiced over it, you know, and he was excited and he kept drawing me closer. And I don't want to be like kind of condemning. It's kind of in tough. You know, kind of talking about like, oh, here's all these things that I do, and it's been really good. And I don't want it to come across as condemning, and like you constantly need to be doing these things in order for the Father to love you or the Father to rejoice over you. But man, it's like um, it kind of reminds me of you know when my kids were little, they and we would just kind of rejoice, you know, and and celebrate when the baby would you know when he would start walking, you know. And it's not that we were like Man, I didn't love you before you started walking, but now that you're kind of doing something, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you. But we rejoiced and celebrated, kind of to encourage him just to keep doing it, to keep pressing in, because we know that by, by doing things that are kind of difficult and you know keep trying and keep working at it, that's how the, he he learns and how he grows and how he eventually is gonna enter into his destiny by working, you know, by doing things. And my point, I guess, is that it doesn't matter where you're at. You know, whether you're walking or not walking or, you know, if you're walking slowly or you're stumbling or whatever. But God loves you just the way you are, right where you're at. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so. So maybe you've accepted Jesus. Um, no, that's the that's the wrong card, Mark. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves, OK. Card 16 is where we're at. I use, I use index cards when I talk. That's what they taught you in eighth grade, not <laughs> Oh, All right. And so let's take a look. I've got another Bible verse, Titus 3, verse 3. So jump from Zephaniah to Titus. So I'm just going to use this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So, this is, you know, so verse 3 is kind of this picture of just being lost. You know, it's, um, can you go back to that? I don't have it open. Is this, is this saving time? <laughs> I don't know. So, you know. so it's just a picture of, of being lost. You know we were foolish and disobedient. We were enslaved. you know It was just kind of this kind of sad, yucky place. You know we were hated and hating one another, and all of us have at one point in our lives, and maybe we still are, we're in exactly this place. But Titus three four says, but when the kindness of God... Okay, we need more than this. Where is this? It's unbelievable. That's my fault. I told him, Titus 3, 4. Graphics, you guys are great. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so here we have Titus 3.3. 3. We are completely lost. We're completely messed up. We have no desire for God. We're hating people. We're hating, you know, it's this bad, sad place. But God loves us so much that before we did anything, he comes and shows his kindness, his love and his mercy. You know, because, and I just think this shows that, you know, God loved us right where we were at. He wasn't afraid to come in into our kind of dark, nasty places and bring salvation. He loved us right where we were at, but too much to leave us that way. Okay? And maybe maybe you're lost. You know, maybe that's where you're at. You know, God is going to save you. He wants to bring you into a fullness of life. And maybe you're like I was. Maybe you're just kind of... This kind of lukewarm Christian kind of barely getting by, let's see what the Bible says in Philippians one verse six. Let's see how this works. <laughs> Crickets. Is this saving time? Cameron, you're right. I should have written out my Bible verses. If it comes up there, let me know, because so I 'm going to look for Philippians 1 six. Darn it. All right. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what? He is not done with you yet. If you're, he has saved you, he's called you, he is not going to leave you where you're at. If you're in that kind of lukewarm place like I was for a long time, he is not done. He is going to come and finish what he started in you. He's, I just think he's happy. I think he just loves us and he just wants more and more of us. You know, he wants us to be blessed. That's why he just is constantly trying to draw us in, trying to take us into deeper relationship. And I just believe he's waiting for us to take a step. You know, he's waiting for us to say yes. And, you know. And he's going to honor that, he's, and he's going to reveal more of himself. I don't believe that God wants to kind of stay hidden and kind of he's hiding behind a bush waiting for us to prove himself, and then he's going to jump out and be like, I love you. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to show himself to us, but it requires some action on our part. In Matthew 7, 7, uh, Jesus talk, is talking, and he's, you know, ask, ask, and... Oh, Great. Keep asking and it will be given. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be open to you. That's the amplified version. And you know, and so all of these things are actions. You know, it never says, hey, sit on your couch and watch CSI, and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna make you love me more. You know, this is not this is not in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry, CSI is good, probably. Um you know, and so these are all steps and choices that we make. And I believe that even the smallest step, just the littlest step, he's going to uh, to reveal himself more. And I believe that every step is an opportunity and every step is a victory. Every little thing. And God just, he dances and he rejoices over that. You know, he wants to give us abundant lives. He wants us to live in, in fullness of life. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and life to the full. You know, God's desire, his passion is for us to have full, exciting blessed lives, you know, and so that is why God is wooing us. He wants us to be abundant. He wants us to be full. You know, he wants us to know him more and more and more. And as I was reading through the Old Testament, one thing that really stuck out to me, because I was reading chronologically, luckily, is that God was really patient, He was amazingly patient with his people. You know, they were ridiculous. They made horrible decisions over and over and over again. And God was constantly saying, he would send his prophets and like, guys, can you just stop living that way? This is the right way to live. And if you do this, I'm going to bless you because I want you to be blessed. And they would still make bad decisions. But he never was like I'm completely done with them you know he always made a way for them to come back he always kept a door open and if they would repent and turn to him he would show up and he would bless them every single time and you know what that is still his heart for us today you know he wants to be he wants to bless us he wants us to be happy and I really believe that God's presence is where the good things are it is so good. And, you know, everything that we're, we're trying to find outside of God, you know, whether that be through relationships or music or, you know, you know what we do with our free time, whatever, that, whatever it is that we're trying to find is actually found. The real thing is found in the presence of God. You know, and it's not some cheap knockoff that the world is trying to peddle. You know, it's like real love real joy, real peace, and that is what you can find in God's presence. And, and so it kind of, you know, maybe it sounds like, oh, if you do all these spiritual disciplines, you know, God loves you more and he's going to bless you more. And I just don't think that's the case. You know? I don't think the spiritual disciplines kind of get you better access into the throne room of God. You know, you know, belief and faith in the finished work of Jesus, that's what gets you into the throne room. That's what gets you access to the Father. But I think these spiritual disciplines, they just help you to know, you know, God better. They help you to receive the gifts and the blessings that he wants to give you. They allow you to hold on to more of his anointing and to carry that anointing further. They, they allow you to enter into your destiny. You know, the Bible says that God blesses those who diligently seek him. And so the question is, do you want God's blessing in your life? You know, do you, do you want God to help you along and bless you? Or do you just want to kind of do it on your own? Um, you know, it reminds me when I was kind of preparing this, I kind of had this picture of this this guy with a with a broken leg and he's he wants to get to his destination. But, you know, what? he's really uncomfortable with the doctor. And so he's just decided with his broken leg, to just kind of hobble over through the pain and through the difficulty to his destination. But, man, how much better would it be if he goes to the doctor and just says, hey, will you fix this broken leg? And allow the doctor to bless him, to help him, to bring healing. How much better is that trip going to be? How much easier is it going to be to get to his destination? So I just encourage you, just let you know God bless you. Just enter in. Just open those doors. Just ask and seek and knock. Just look for God. And so, I had like a minute. So what? what is... What is one thing, you know, what is one step that you can do every day? And I think the key here would be every day. You know, as a Christian, well, my whole life, you know, I've heard, you know, you should pray every day. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. Nobody, that is crazy. Nobody has time to pray every day. What would you say every day? It doesn't make sense. You know, but I think there is value. I think there's value in being consistent and doing something and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to give you time every single day because you're worthy. You know, and it doesn't have to be some big, life-changing, radical thing, you know, but do you have five minutes a day? You know, could you squeeze five minutes out of your day for God? You know, could you read one chapter a day? You know, and I really believe that if you give God just a little, you know, he is going to respond and he is going to draw you closer. You know, and yeah, you know what? Each thing, you know, requires a little bit of sacrifice. You know, I've sacrificed being able to stay awake after nine o'clock at night, you know, because I, I want to get up early. I find if I don't get up early to pray, I'm not going to do it at all. And so, yeah, I'm tired and I go to bed and that's, you know, I, maybe I miss out on some stuff on in the evening. But what have I gotten back? You know, I've gotten life, abundant life, freedom and joy and peace. And it's just this revelation, you know, that God loves me right where I'm at, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Amen. Wow, 24 index cards.